Welcome back, everyone, to the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with Pharmerica. Today's episode is Bringing Health Home, the Transitional Care Management Model. I'm John O'Connor from McKnight's, and I'll be co-hosting with TJ Griffin, RPH, who is the Senior Vice President of Long-Term Care Operations and Chief Pharmacy Officer for Pharmerica. Hi, TJ. Are you enjoying March Madness so far? So far, John, uh, don't uh, sleep on my Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, we're, we're coming into the tournament strong, but uh, I got to tell you, I still like Gonzaga to win it all. I think uh, Gonzaga is a, is a pretty safe bet. Well, TJ, speaking of uh, hoops, uh, any basketball coach will tell you that a transition game is essential. See how I did that? that, that move there? Very um, good. Turns out, turns, out that's, <laughs> turns out that's increasingly true for uh, long-term care as well. So I think today's conversation is going to be relevant. Ready to get started? Let's do it. Awesome. Well, as you may know, the transitional care management model has been growing in popularity in long-term care as more residents seek to stay healthy at home with the person-centered support they need. And several new programs allow Medicaid-funded services at home or in the community. As residents discharge from nursing homes, this approach gives facilities the opportunity to play an active role in transitional care management for those leaving and realize things like lower costs, increased medication adherence, reduced rehospitalization rates, better clinical and quality outcomes, continuum inter-referrals, and enhanced referral relationships. And that's just to name a few. Now, in today's episode, we're going to explore the influencers that support this transitional care model and how facilities can take steps to capitalize on the growth of care at home to impact their census, financial penalties, and even outcomes. Our special guest today is William Mills, MD, who is the Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs for Bright Spring Health Services. Dr. Mills, we're thrilled you can join us today. Glad to be here, John. Awesome. Now, before we get started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and uh, what guided you toward this field and how you got here? Absolutely. So I'm an internal medicine geriatrics physician uh, outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, I've been involved in post-acute care and medical house calls uh, for nearly 20 years now. Uh, I really got turned on to the space in kind of thinking about the level of care that people were or were not receiving kind of in some of their most vulnerable settings and uh, been fortunate to do over 20,000 medical house calls uh, in addition to have several leadership roles in the last, uh, in the last couple of decades. Awesome. Wow. 20,000. A doctor who makes house calls, I I guess uh, what's, what's old is new again in some respects. That's right. That's uh, what we like to think. Absolutely. So uh, uh, what would you say is the uh, typical facility's greatest challenge at discharge? Yeah, you know, John, I, I think it's it's really important to first mention that uh, when any time there's an older adult that is transitioning from one care setting to another, that really represents a time of significant vulnerability for that person. And so really that safe and effective transfer really is about communication. It's about understanding some of the risks uh, that that person may face. And then also really understanding the resources that that person may or may not have available as a transition to various care settings. You know, I think one of the reasons why, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the field is really gaining a lot of uh, steam, if you will, uh, is that the problem of 
somebody who's just come out of the hospital uh, and then starts to recover and rehabilitate and that has to go back is a very difficult and challenging experience for the person, for the family, and for the care team. So now going on about 20 years ago now, going back about 20 years ago, uh, Dr. Eric Coleman uh, from Colorado was one of the first to really identify the U.S. kind of national problem that we've had with readmissions. And in a study that he published uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, they looked at the, the kind of rates of people returning to the hospital uh, within 30 days of discharge and found that about 20% of hospital discharges in the United States were actually being returned back to the hospital uh, within 30 days. So that really kind of set the stage uh, for a lot of the, the policy around, uh, around readmission prevention. And, uh, you know, as you, as you may know, uh, you know, it's not only uh, difficult for the, the patient, but now we also have a whole host of uh, kind of financial incentives and quality measures uh, that are really all based on that uh, on that 30 day readmission and trying and trying to prevent it. Well, doc, Dr. Mills, uh, this is TJ, as, as you said, transition of care is kind of the most dangerous, vulnerable time for almost any patient and their family. And you talked about hospital readmission. What, what do you see as some of the biggest reasons why folks end up back in the hospital? Yeah, you know, TJ, there's a there's a lot of good data uh, that's that's really been um, been put out there in the last couple decades. And you know, there's so many different factors, uh, but really to kind of just simplify it, it's the level of uh, medical risk that a certain patient has. So it. It matters, um, you know, kind of what they were in the hospital in the first place for, uh, you know, things like if they had uh, a cancer um, diagnosis and were being treated by an oncology service, uh, if they've had uh, significant bleeding, uh, if they've had a number of, of previous hospital admissions, you know, kind of their other chronic conditions that they have that coexist with the reason that they were recently admitted to the hospital. Those are all factors. And then you kind of couple that with things like frailty. If somebody is frail and unable to, uh, to really um, be able to do certain things that they could do before, uh, you know, their ability to do activities of daily living is important. To be able to follow instructions that uh, uh, have been given after the hospitalization and after uh, any skilled nursing facility stay. Uh, so that communication in a level that uh, the patient actually can understand and can actually follow up on is critical. And then the medication management piece is central to, to much of this. Uh, you know, there's been, um, you know, a lot of studies looking at, uh, you know, kind of the, the various risks that medication uh, can play in the overall, you know, kind of post-discharge period. And, you know, there's certain groups of medicines, as, as you know, well, being a being a pharmacy officer that really kind of increased the risk. So, you know, things like blood thinners and, and uh, hypoglycemics for diabetes, uh, congestive heart failure medicines, uh, antibiotics, you know, these, these kind of have a, a risk. And then the other piece of the risk is medication non-adherence. So, you know, despite best, best efforts, you know, many times folks are either just confused on what they should be taking uh, or for whatever reason, uh, they're not compliant in taking the medicines as outlaid 
you know, by that, um, uh, you know, by the care team. You can be very effective in what we kind of half jokingly call doing the kitchen table biopsy, which often means you're going through pill bottles on the kitchen table or wherever the, the patient keeps them. Uh, kind of looking at, you know, the, the various baskets of, of pills that people inevitably will have, uh, and then really trying to help them understand that, you know, these medicines that almost always were, were kind of left, um, you know, as they were taking them before they went into the hospital are not necessarily the same group of medicines that they should be taking, uh, you know, after the, the multiple care transition. So really you know, just having that person understand that, you know, this, this new basket, if you will, of pills, or if you work with a, uh, with a pharmacy partner that can do medication adherence packaging that can be very highly beneficial, uh, you know, that medication understanding of what the person should actually take is one of the most critical aspects of discharge planning and transitional care. Can you walk us through how, how that process typically plays out at communities when they're discharging? And especially in this age where there's difficulties with, with, with staffing and, and, you know, what's a good strategy for how a, a facility can set up a patient who's discharging, you know, for success uh, headed to the home? Yeah, it's a great question, TJ. So, you know, I typically will think of it as kind of three different buckets. So, First, you have these kind of pre-discharge interventions. So things like, uh, you know, identification of risk, uh, whether that's by a formal uh, risk uh, instrument or by other means. Uh, Things like discharge planning. Where is that person going to go? You know, if they did come from home, how does the home environment actually look? Is that person going to able to be successful when they're back in the home environment or is it going to be impossible for them, at least in the short run, because of debility, because of frailty, because of complications that may have happened during their hospitalization or nursing uh, stay? Uh, is it going to you know, require additional assistance or you know, perhaps another uh, destination, such as assisted living uh, or other care sites or, or long-term care? And then you have that you know, kind of while the person is still in, in the nursing uh, facility, in the SNF. Uh, you know, that initial kind of medi- uh, medication reconciliation, uh, you know, to ensure that, you know, they're, they're getting the, uh, the, the meds that uh, the hospital intended and then starting to think about uh, how much of a change that's going to be to the patient's um, pre-existing medication regimen. How are they going to get those medicines? Are they going to be able to, uh, you know, take home uh, the necessary meds? Uh, or, or is there another step involved, you know, going to uh, a Walgreens or a CVS externally, et cetera. Uh, and then also really early in that, uh, in that sniff stay, oftentimes it's a good practice to get that patient scheduled for a follow-up appointment with their, their primary care provider. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, scheduling takes, uh, uh, you know, takes, uh, takes weeks, um, you know, in some, in some busy practices. So it's important to kind of you know, notify that, uh, that physician and care team that that patient will need uh, a follow-up appointment. Then we kind of think about, uh, you know, the post-discharge interventions that, um, you know, have been shown to have some efficacy, you know, things like uh, a follow-up phone call that can be done by, uh, by nursing home staff or if the, the SNF chooses to partner with, uh, with an external uh, partner that can be effective as well. There's been a lot of studies around kind of what types of individuals have the most success at doing a follow-up phone call. Um, 
you know, pharmacists, uh, nurses, you know, physicians and, and APNs have all um, kind of separately been studied and, you know, kind of having the right cadence and then understanding where, you know, a, a risk, uh, you know, kind of may, um, may occur and then ensuring that the follow-up appointment is, um, is confirmed and, and the patient can, uh, you know, can talk, um, uh, you know, about their, um, their follow-up plans for that as well. Uh, and then things like home visits, you know, so as, uh, as I uh, mentioned at the outset, uh, you know, I spent much of my career doing medical house calls and increasingly, you know, we're seeing that, you know, it's kind of a, a back to the future, if you will, uh, as John mentioned at the outset of the, of the podcast today, you know, one in the early uh, 20th century, uh, most of Americans' medical care was being received uh, in a home setting that really um, almost entirely went away with the advent of managed care. Uh, and people really are starting to see in about the last 25 years or so uh, that the value of actually laying eyes on a patient's uh, home environment and seeing some of the factors that may influence their care, uh, the social determinants of health uh, can be extremely valuable. So that home visit is increasingly recognized as a potential best practice for overall transitional care management. And it's one that uh, I think many of your listeners would find, uh, you know, quite helpful and interesting as a, a potential added service. I mean, there are so many moving parts here. It's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. So if, if I might ask, what uh, kind of uh, organization do you think that uh, an operator should be looking for as, as a partner as, as they get more heavily involved in, in this service? Yeah, you know, John, I think it's really, uh, you know, kind of the first step is doing a gap analysis. So, you know, if you, if you really understand that, you know, the risks that a vulnerable older adult faces uh, when they've been in the hospital, when they've been in a, a skilled nursing facility for, for 15, 16, 20 days, uh, and then going back to home, you know, what kind of services is that individual going to need? So, you know, thinking about things like, you know, the, the pre-discharge piece, um, many skilled nursing facilities will handle most of that themselves. Uh, you know, TJ asked earlier as well about, you know, kind of in the current environment where we have staffing shortages, kind of how can, can homes think about addressing some of that? Uh, you know, there's been some, um, you know, some innovation in that space. There's a, a program uh, in New York State that's looking at using even uh, nursing students uh, to help do some of the uh, the education kind of pre-discharge. And then that same sniff, understanding, uh, you know, where that patient's going to go and what services that uh, he or she may need when they're in the home, uh, you know, do they have a mechanism, a preferred partner for things like uh, skilled home health care, if that patient um, is going to need, you know, physical therapy, skilled nursing, occupational therapy, speech therapy, kind of as a continuation for the treatment uh, that they had received in the hospital or in the SNF. Uh, are they going to need private duty um, home care services? So, uh, you know, many folks develop various um, deficits in their abilities to do either their instrumental activity of daily living uh, or their ADLs. And oftentimes, um, at least for a transitional period, people may benefit uh, from having a caregiver working alongside their, their family, um, themselves, their spouse uh, to really help, you know, get, get them up out of bed in the morning. Uh, to help ensure that they're, uh, you know, off to a really good start with their medication management, to uh, help ensure that, um, you know, they're, they have access to high quality nutrition. Uh, you know, all these kind of aspects 
are one of the reasons why increasingly we've seen uh, skilled nursing facilities uh, partner with high quality home health care providers uh, and non-skilled uh, home care providers uh, in their market. So, you know, I think uh, that's, that's key. I think also having a medical practice kind of option. So, you know, many folks um, do, do just fine going back to their um, primary care physician, you know, assuming that that PCP can get them in uh, timely. Uh, and others um, really have found that partnering with the transitional care management uh, medical group uh, that kind of takes on that, you know, initial um, kind of um, home focused heavy lift in helping, uh, you know, streamline. Obviously, uh, avoiding readmissions is, is becoming a, a new major issue, uh, not a new major issue, but a major issue in, in healthcare and uh, specifically in long-term care as well. And I was wondering if you had any uh, tips or suggestions or advice uh, for operators out there um, so that they can help avoid readmissions uh, during during this this whole process, because it you know there's there's a lot of a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, for sure, John. So you know, as uh, as we mentioned, I think thinking about um, the the type of risks that patients face uh, is really about the best initial step that a director of nursing, an administrator, and a care team, and a SNF uh, can really um, you know can really put the energy into. So. Uh, you know, there's been, again, there's been a lot of data, most of it uh, really initially focused on uh, discharges from hospital, um, but much of this data is also very applicable to discharges from skilled nursing. Uh, so, you know, risk factors such as uh, the nature of, um, you know, the, somebody's index hospital admission, uh, thinking about their, their other existing uh, comorbidities, you know, whether or not the, the SNF um, wants to, to use a standardized risk assessment tool, uh, whether you know, something like the, the LACE index, uh, like the 8P, like the, the Coleman uh, care transitions intervention. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different standardized tools out there that nursing facilities can either use directly or partner to really assess that, you know, that risk. And then once you, you do um, identify the risk, the next important step is really knowing how to resource that risk. So, you know, really figuring out, um, you know, what level of support that that, um, that patient will need uh, when they transition back to home is, is a, a central piece. And, you know, as, we, um, as I mentioned before, uh, then figuring out who your partners are. So building um, a network, uh, a team that is external you know, out in the community after the patient leaves the four walls of the, of the SNF, I think is really important. Uh, you know, kind of building on the, the fact that we're in, in March madness. Um, now, a lot of times I think about when a patient transitions uh, to various care settings, you kind of go from playing man-to-man defense to playing zone defense, uh, kind of thinking about them, you know, as a, uh, as a, a population health uh, kind of, you know, zone defense model where, you know, you're not going to be able to address after the patient leaves your four walls every single um, risk, but you can resource them enough so that risks, major risks, can be identified, and that either through uh, an extension of your care team or with an external partner, that much of those risks, many of those risks, can be uh, can be addressed. So, so doc, Dr. Mills, as we I, we kind of wrap things up here, you know, we're in the the last thirty seconds, and um, we got to we got to hit that game winning shot. What are the what are the two or three things that uh, our audience should take away from 
really uh, transitions of care and what's that what's that buzzer beater that that you think everyone needs to talk about? Yeah, I think probably the the best data and looking at some of the meta analyses, TJ, that have been done in this space, uh, the most effective care transitions interventions are multifaceted. Uh, so they involve things like pre-discharge planning. They involve things like making sure that that patient has a follow-up appointment, ideally within seven to 14 days with their primary care provider or with a transitional care management provider within their home. Uh, a follow-up phone call, really making sure that a huge part of the uh, kind of overall care transitions effort is on medication management. So, uh, you know, as, as you know well, there's a number of, uh, of pharmacy options to help patients really smooth the transitions of care, uh, including, um, you know, kind of being sent home with the right, uh, the right pills from the nursing home so they don't have to go out and, uh, you know, kind of wait at the uh, at Walgreens or CVS for, um, you know, for a fill and then making sure that, that there's also a, a home component, whether that's with uh, home health care, uh, you know, private duty care, et cetera, that a patient may need. So, you know, it's really multifaceted. And with that recipe, um, you know, you can really, um, you know, help to decrease, uh, you know, the, the excess um, readmissions that really have, have faced, you know, many of these folks as they, as they go from care setting to care setting. Well, guys, unfortunately, it looks like we're just about out of time here. So uh, that's going to have to be the final word. Uh, this concludes our third episode of Spoonful of Sugar. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll pass the word. We've covered a lot of ground here today in a very short amount of time. So here are three brief takeaways. Uh, first, I, I think it's important to know the transitions require detailed planning. There are a lot of moving parts. Uh, second, effective communication is, is key. And then finally, three, uh, successful transitions are based on a partnership mindset and finding the right partners, as I think we've, we've heard this morning. Our special thanks to Dr. Mills for providing his insight and unique perspective on this growing topic. We hope you can join us next time. Mark Parkinson, who is the president and CEO of the American Healthcare Association, will be joining us. We'll discuss some of the challenges and opportunities facing the long-term care sector these days. TG, I think that's one conversation we won't want to miss. Absolutely, John. Uh, Governor Parkinson has certainly uh, been in the news and he's on the forefront of, of all the changes going on. It should be a, a lively conversation. Absolutely. So finally, uh, special thanks to For America, whose generous support made this presentation possible. To learn more about the ways For America can deliver world-class pharmacy services to your organization, we invite you to visit them online at www.farmerica.com. Along with TJ Griffin, this is John O'Connor wishing you health and happiness. See you next time.